what changes do you feel uh, were, what changes happened to you after being in jail? I don't know. I uh, returned to CORE and continued to uh, participate in CORE. I can't not identify any physical changes because I wasn't home. I guess I was stronger psychologically, emotionally. I, uh, that pride that you mentioned, or that sense of realization, I guess, was heightened because uh, that we had been successful in quotes that we saw Afro-Americans in positions where they've never been before. Um, I'd gotten older. Older? But older. But other than that, I, I can't identify any, any significant changes. Do you think St. Louis changed at all? Oh, there is no question that the city The consciousness of it? That's assuming that it has a morality, that it has a, some kind of base on a right and wrong. I don't think, I don't know I'd have the answer to that. I think that we forced them to change. I don't know whether there was any uh, sense of love. Well, I think some people did, but I'm learning more and more that the businessman is interested in the bottom line. And if there's anything that's going to impact upon that bottom line, he or she is willing to deal with it. So, a big part. Change. Yes, yes. So I don't think that morality uh, played a, a major part. It was just unadulterated power or force. And uh, the power establishment was becoming a threat. It had to be because we, at that particular time, had the momentum in our favor. How did the black community treat you? Individually? After you got out. Oh, fine. I was not a hero. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to make you a hero, Mr. Uh, we were just recognized. We were saluted. Uh, people were happy to see that we were out of jail. And they were happy to see uh, Afro-Americans working in different places where uh, they would not have been at that particular time had we not demonstrated. Uh. What happened to poor after that? Oh, core. Core began undergoing a series of changes. Core at that time had always been integrated. Then nationally, throughout the whole civil rights movement, there was a thrust that blacks should be providing the leadership rather than whites or others. And so National Corps uh, 
after Enos, Enos Ennis became the National Executive Director of CORE, and then CORE, in my opinion, began going down because it became all black. And uh, not it didn't go down because of that, mm -hmm. but it was just one of the contributing elements to it. Um, and then it went down, whereas today, the core that I know, the core that I'm familiar with is no more. Are you associated with it at all? No. When did no. you stop being associated? Oh, I've forgotten. I've forgotten what year it was. But I mean, some in the 70s, or was it late 60s? You know, I don't remember. Around I'd that time? Late 60s, early 70s. Yeah, that's good enough. Um, you see this, I sort of had, would you care to comment on that? This political cartoon that... You know, I, I don't remember that cartoon, but I assume that it was when I was uh, in politics and uh, ran against Clay for the committee ship. I assume that's what you want. Mm -hmm. Is that that's what? Yes. Uh -huh. um, I had a, an opportunity to run for Democratic committee, and uh, Clay uh, decided that he wanted to be committee. He would had had I had served as his campaign manager for Alderman, and we had a successful campaign. We won. He became Alderman. And then I was through because I'd done my duty. In fact, that, we were still part of, of CORE. So after the Jefferson Banks, we bank demonstration, we went into politics. That's what it was. You know how a picture will do something. <laughs> we went into the political arena. And because I really wasn't interested in, in politics, but I helped Clay because he was my friend. And still is my friend. And then we uh, separated. Uh, when it came for that committee ship, because while I was in jail, I was running. And I got out, and then eventually he got out, and uh, Clay won. That must have been, I think, in 64. Was it 64? Or it might have been 60, yes, it, 64. Well, it, I, things that I have here are, um, this is 63. September 63, and I have, uh, there was, December 63, I have some information that I got. Uh, uh -huh. You were both say, you were, uh, had something to do with Tozier for a while. Oh, and yeah. say it was versus <laughs> with Lawyer. Tozier, yeah. Lawler, and yeah. uh, so. No, that, Clay that was, was Lawler. Right. Uh-huh, right. That's the for this. Right, and you were Tozier, and so, that says that that article, that particular article, was December '63. So okay, so it was '63. Mm -hmm. um, all right, uh, I have a we have a picture here that no one seems to uh, know too much about. It it's March 31st, 1967, and it's black bags during press conference at Washington U. Does this strike a bell? We're all no. sort of mystified. <laughs> no. Obviously, they nothing. No, it doesn't mean a thing to me, Matt. Uh, look at sure, it. Sure, absolutely. Mm -hmm. No, it might have been 
a way of raising money for us. So I don't know. No, I, I have no, no idea. Um, I'd like to mention today, since we were doing our first interview on the day that John Kennedy was assassinated, and it was 63, and it was also around the time when you were involved in this Jefferson Bank. Um, would you just talk about how that affected the Oh, that was a blow. Black that, was, that was a blow because uh, Kennedy had inspired us as well. We're citizens too. And hearing him, the quality of the voice, the enthusiasm, his mannerisms, gave us hope. Maybe gave us more hope than we should have uh, desired. But we were just shocked. Didn't believe it. Who would shoot the president? Who would assassinate a man who was bringing us hope? So we were just shot. We were hurt. It was a blow. It was a tragedy. Um, well, then from there, even though it's a quite a few years later, but we're talking about these are the pictures of when Dr. And April 4, 1968. Right. That's here in St. Louis. Right. And this is St. Louis also. This looks like Union. That looks like the Congress Hotel right there. Well, we marched. See, I was in charge of the police. <laughs> These are the children with yeah. signs. Yeah. Yes, you see, the police department was concerned because this is the day that thought we were going to have a riot in the city of St. Louis, the day that we marched. When was this march? That was uh, April, April 7th, 68. Well, that's the children's picture. Yeah, this is April 7th, so, right. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. Yeah, we, um, we uh, had an excellent march, and they thought that we were going to riot on Jefferson, at the Roosevelt Theater, Jefferson and Leffingwell, mm -hmm. and they were, the police, undercover officers were moving people certain people and surrounding certain people to make sure that nothing happened because I later found out from the police department that they had the United States Army on the fringe of the city just in case. Oh, really? <laughs> just in case. Ready. In case it had turned into a riot because we had thousands of people out there and as you see it wasn't just a black group, it was an integrated group uh, marching all the way from the riverfront all the way out to Forest Park. When we got to Forest Park, it really wasn't organized, ready for speakers. Was not? It was not, no. no. And you were in charge of this march? 
I was in charge of the police aspect of it. The police aspect. Uh, uh, making the route, letting the police know where we were going to be, and, and they watched me for when we were going to start the parade, and little, little things mm -hmm. like that. Your skills are so many. And so you flatter me. <laughs> no, I'm not trying to flatter you, Mr. Say. When I think of the of the role that you've played, it's almost a science to be able to know what people want and and try and work with different factions. So much public relations. It's a very difficult thing. Yeah, that's true. It is, but I think. Yeah. Um, while we're talking about riots, um, why do you think St. Louis never really had a race riot? It had all of the ingredients, but it just didn't ignite. Could have, but if there were any one person that I'd give the credit to, I would say an Al Flashman who worked for Civic Progress. Because of the relationships that he had with various Afro-American leaders and leading people. Either he had them directly or indirectly. I think that more than anything controlled the situation. Plus, we were living in a compact area, Afro-Americans. We, we lived in a Relative. Well, that was in 1968, and we had begun to move in 68. <laughs> but still, we we knew knew each other. I would think, but that was relatively minor. The bigger thing was the when I say Al Flashman, I'm talking about his being able to docile out money, been able to provide jobs through civic progress and other groups. Uh, his being on various boards, urban league and things of this time. Mm -hmm. This is not negative, I mean, mm -hmm. this is uh, in a sense to his credit. Uh, he knew personally many of the Afro-Americans from having worked in the department of parks and recreation. And there, we didn't have the dope as, as and the, 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 the crime wasn't as high. There, it was just a different milieu uh, than we're living in today. I think if we had 
today's environment, conditions being as they are, I think we would have a right. So I'm basically saying that we could have a riot today if unemployment continues to increase, if a policeman in the hot summertime does something. All the conditions I think that we had are here today. In fact, I think they are they have increased. It's just a matter of having someone who's there to control the, uh, when your heat goes up. Thermostat. Thermostat. The, you know, it's not the thermostat, but the, uh, it's not the Indicator. <laughs> well, anyway, as long as you have the conductor. And one of the principal conductors was Al Fleischer. Now that's just my opinion. Now who was it in the black community? I would think that the Urban League would be one. The NACP was another. Uh, those Afro-Americans who were working for the government those city, local, and state, uh, some of them who were active in sororities, fraternities, the so-called safe organization. And this is not being critical. Mm -mm. I hear nothing critical uh -huh. from what you're this saying. Is just uh, those were the relationships, persons who had good jobs mm -hmm. uh, in private industry. Mm -hmm. Who had some clout? Yeah, more imagined than real. <laughs> well, that's right. I understand that people who, but they had con, they had some contact. They yes. they may sit on a they board, had, but they right. had had some contact. Right. Somebody knew who they were. Right. Somebody right, right. knew who they were. Right. Um, which brings me into you know, we're talking about uh, contact and leadership the role of the churches, black churches? The churches basically cooperated with us. There were some who did not. Uh, who, who, when I say who did not, I, I, you don't have to name, you know, but, but, but who and why? <laughs> well, there were some churches who had relationships with the bank, oh. and they were depending upon that bank or some other bank to finance their churches, construction of the church, or some of the members might have been banking with Jefferson Bank for a long, long time and didn't want to change, or they, had, they thought they had a personal relationship with the banker. Those, those were basically the reasons why uh, persons uh, particularly the churches, but most of the churches supported us. Uh, ministers even demonstrated on the line for us, raised money for us. So basically we did have the support of the churches, just, just a few churches, 
did not book. Well, you had the ministers and layman's boycott, didn't you? Uh, um, yeah, they, they cooperated with yeah, us. Yeah, in 63. Mm -hmm. yeah. But of course, you remember those who didn't. <laughs> there, were, there were only about one or two, as I recall. There weren't many that refused to cooperate with us. Mm -hmm. I bet they remember it, too. They did, because in fact, we're celebrating, as you know, the 25th anniversary. And uh, one of the persons who didn't is still alive. And we wanted to have an activity at his church. And he said, no, that might bring back too many memories and open more wounds and so We did not have the activity at his church. That's surprising if you were willing to have him be part of it. Yes, yes, yes. Can't reach out much more than that. Well, that's no more than with the bank. The bank didn't want to be bothered with us either. <laughs> Same situation. Well, now the bank, I can understand. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, you did contact them, and they. The bank. Yes. Well, yes, 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 yes. I uh, personally went to the bank. Tell me about that, please. Oh, I went to the bank. Maybe we demonstrated on the 30th of August this year. Mm -hmm. I went to the bank. Went to the bank maybe two or three weeks prior to our demonstration, just dropped in without an appointment and asked to speak with the president, who is the son of the gentleman who was the chief executive officer when we were demonstrating in 63, Dylan Ross. And the son, who was the chief executive officer, was not in. So I talked with the vice president. And he said, well, I can't talk with you. You better talk with the president. So I thanked him, but I did find out that he had at that time about five or six Afro-American tellers. And one was a part-time and about three persons in clerical support roles. That was more than they had in 63. But they had no Afro-American supervisor for our uh, managerial positions. Still now even as of now. Uh, the bank barely has over 50 employees, so I guess it has about 60 some more employees. Let's see what else can I say about the bank? But they wanted no part in. But they wanted no part in this, in this demonstration. They wanted no part in it when we had it uh, about four years ago. And when we did it in, on our 10th anniversary, they wanted no part in it uh, also. But I had thought that by the 25 years, they would have softened. But the uh, son, who is now the chief executive officer, says that we tried to kill his bank. And he holds that against us. And he refused the next day to, to uh, meet with me. He said we had nothing to talk about. Well, I guess he was raised, uh, Millsap said that you are organized, proven lawless and responsible. Your organization proved lawless and irresponsible, I guess. Well, he was, that was an was article from years ago, mm -hmm. rather, Yeah. because he and I are acquaintances now. We speak and mm -hmm. talk and smile about the past. Good. Uh, now, that's Millsap. Right. Uh, Millsap is, is a politician and an, an attorney. Yeah. <laughs> but the chief it. executive officer has not changed his stance. Um, 
I see you looking at your watch. I'm going to. Well, no, I, I can, we can go on uh, some more. I, I, I didn't talk about the St. Louis, uh, let's see, I'm going to find this. Um, the Community Council, is that what I'm um, yeah, the St. Louis Community yes. Council was formed, was headed by Dr. Ben Davis, mm -hmm. and the purpose of that group, it had a representative uh, group of uh, leaders and leading persons, doctors, lawyers, engine chiefs, etc., who were raising money to uh, help us. In fact, the Urban League played a major role in raising the money after we were there in jail and trying to get us out and trying to resolve the situation. So this, that group, that community organization group was just a group of citizens who wanted to show that there were responsible persons in the community who appreciated what we were doing and wanted to help us out. And so they primarily raised funds for the bond, and uh, for our court costs and, relied, and related uh, expenditures. We had also the Human Rights Commission uh, became very actively involved in trying to uh, open more doors for us and the uh, door for us being jobs for persons in the banking and other industries. Now, when we talked about race riots, I meant, generally speaking, I was not talking about, and so you understood that that was not just Jefferson Bank, that was just... Oh, I thought you were saying, why is it that we didn't have a race riot in the city of St. Louis? Yes, but okay. I meant, okay. I meant at, at, during the 60s, not just the... At the Jefferson Bank right. period. But I think you, to me, you answered it fully, I yeah. just, as long okay. as we... Yeah, okay, um, Do you feel like... You did? That you you understood that it was the entire yes. system? Okay. Yes. Uh, and the same with the, the question on the uh, the churches. I'm talking about the full impact of the churches during the 60s, uh, not just oh, during okay. the Jefferson okay. Bank. Oh, that I did not thought you were talking about yeah. just the Jefferson Bank. Mm -hmm. Oh, the churches have been most Well, supported. actually, I asked the question, and it was very interesting. You went straight to the Jefferson Bank. Okay, okay. <laughs> Well, I put it in that context. Yeah. The, uh, the churches have been most supportive, but the whole civil rights movement, not only in St. Louis, but everywhere, has uh, had its origin, our genesis, in church or religious settings. King, churchman, his lieutenants, churchman, Jesse Jackson, the head of uh, uh, Southern Christian Leadership Conference, churchman. What did, what did, well, I think that's a, the churches are a, a, a force for freedom. Uh, and a home. A way and a what? A, a home. home. Well, that's true because many times people would go south and there were, was no place to stay for Afro-Americans, and the church became 
a place where you could stay or you could meet some brother or sister who would allow you to sleep and eat in her or his home. Uh, the church also was one of the independent entities, or it is one of the independent entities, where the power structure is less likely to make itself known or its views known. So I think those are some factors why the church has always been our thing. You have a group of people there, you got an audience, mm -hmm. so all you need is a speaker. What people or events do you believe constituted the civil rights movement in St. Louis during the 1960s? Oh, I think all of them did. I think NACP core action, all of them contributed. Uh, action and core gave respectability to NACP and the Urban League because uh, Urban League was uh, the, the power establishment would say. Urban, uh, NACP, no, I mean, uh, action and core, I'm not going to help you. You're radical. But I'm going to help the NACP and the Urban League because you're my kind of people. And so you had the good guy and the bad guy, core and action being the bad guy, the good guys being NACP and the Urban League. Yeah. So, in my opinion, That was the strategy used in order for us to move ahead. But who were some of the people, the main people in the 60s? Separated them from the organization. Yes, the movers and the doers. In addition to those 19. Mm-hmm. Okay. I would say Bohannon of the Urban League, I would say Margaret Bush Wilson, uh, Anita Bond, um, Virgil Barter of the National Conference of Christians and Jews, Rabbi Isman, Myron Swartz, um, Ben Davis. Percy Green, Captain Ed Bolden. Is he related to Otis? Ed Bolden is a police captain, first Afro-American police captain who commanded a district. Doctor, say how long have you been saying Afro-American? <laughs> when did you? I have been saying it, but I am making the transition this year. I try not to say black. Sometimes I slip. Mm -hmm. 
but I'm definitely saying Afro-American. Well, I notice that in all the things I've read about you and all the things that you've written that I've read. Afro-American. Afro-American. I'm and trying. When did you begin? Well, actually, I began while I was in Washington, D.C., when I was with the federal government, and I represented that agency uh, to a, a group. <clears throat> I was in Washington from 74 to 82. Okay. I worked with a group that <clears throat> began celebrating Afro-American History Month, which is in February. And that was the, the, the it began as a week by uh, Carter G. Woodson. And by working with this organization, and I was its representative from this agency to this citizens group planning the national observance of Afro-American History Month just in the Washington, D.C. area. And so after seeing all this literature, and in parentheses it said Negro or Black, I never, I didn't make that change in D.C. I only made that change. I was undergoing the process all along because persons in our community have been reluctant to call themselves African or to associate themselves with that. And so I think, I guess it's a process of assimilation or growth or development of some type that I'm proud now. I'm not ashamed of, of being black. I'm no longer ashamed of being connected with Africa. And it says I'm a leader too, so there's a little bit of ego in there because mm -hmm. I'm trailblazing and I'm trying to get more of us to uh, use the term Afro-American, just as we say uh, Italian-American or German-American, saying that I'm an American, but my roots are in Africa. And I'm proud. Right. Okay. Um, well, what other events in the 60s, besides the Jefferson Bank, would you say constitute important well, I think I mentioned the famous Embora situation where they had Afro-Americans on as elevated operators. The fact that uh, Afro-American police officers began to move into other areas of the city to, to police. Uh, they began to uh, more began to, uh, were assigned as detectives. Um, more uh, firefighters, uh, the opening of the restaurants, the passing of the Civil Rights uh, Law in 1964. Um, just the whole transition. Opening the door for full citizenship for Afro Americans and for women, Asians, and other minorities, handicapped. Uh, we paid the price as Afro Americans. We paid the price. We were the data. Because unless you have data, you don't have a problem <laughs> in scientific America. Right. And so we were the data. 
Afro-Americans and others that benefited and we're happy that others can benefit because we're all together. Does that look familiar to you? How do you feel about this picture? It's Percy Green. At the arch. At the arch. Yeah. Um, what do you mean when you say, how do I feel about it? Well, in the same way that Evelyn Roberts made the statement, it was a different way of oh, I felt doing things. I, I salute Percy for doing that. I would not have uh, had the strength to go up on that arch. <sighs> I salute him. And he did a tremendous amount of good. Out of that, he opened the labor unions up. He really did. He did an excellent job. Now, Percy Green, as I told you before, was a member of CORE, but right. he left because he thought we were too conservative. And Percy is a landmark. His case against McDonnell Douglas, landmark cases. And uh, whenever you go into a EEO situation, they had to go into the courts. Frequently, they refer to uh, the Percy Green case. He has made an invaluable contribution to us. Ivor Perry and others, uh, he's another one of our supporters, another demonstrator, has done a tremendous amount of good, has written a couple of books now. He's a. Uh, well, George autograph. Lipschitz wrote a book yes, about him. About him, have, yes. you, have you seen it or read it? I have seen it, not read it. Oh, I don't remember that one, that particular one. In front of Clark, 12th and Clark. I, I, it, it might have been in 1960, it was in 1965, sometimes he would stop okay. cars and say, as long as you've yes. stopped you, think about yes. this yes. thing or yes. that thing. And this yes, that's picture was uh, addressing demonstration from the police headquarters in 65. Yeah. See, many of those things we didn't know exactly the details on because we were incarcerated. But as far as a Percy Green or uh, the, well, NAACP core action, then you had Black Liberators. Yes, all of that was part SNCC of And you had SNCC and you had many different things happening in the, the later part of the 60s. Well, that was all, and then in 68, that was, those were your riots. All kinds of groups there. There was a family where a group of people would would assemble, and I think on Sundays about three or four or five o'clock we would assemble in Curitiba to discuss with people our actions and the rationale for our actions. So all of those, all of that's in the past. Uh, was there any coordination of, they, there were, that was the coordination of efforts between those groups? I don't remember any, unless there were, I don't, 
remember coordination for the sake of local coordination among the groups. But if there were a special effort, if there were a special event, then there would be an attempt to develop a high degree of coordination. But as the, the normal, as a part of the normal routine, in other words, for a procedure or a process to, to network with blank, 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 I don't remember that being the case, except when we were in jail and those attorneys were involved. When you were talking about the leaders before, the leadership, uh, the people that constituted the civil rights movements, um, why did you perceive them as leaders? What makes them leaders? Well, those, who, those were persons who were in leadership titles or in leadership roles, maybe president or vice president. But there are different kinds of leaders, like, for instance, a, a Percy Green or, a, or an Ivory Perry. Well, Did Percy Green was a leader in that he established his own organization. He was the chair, uh, he was the leader of uh, action. Ivory Perry now was, I don't know whether Ivory was ever in a position where he had a title. No, I, I, they don't but have But he to was a title. leading, he was a leading person. Mm -hmm. I, I, a leading person to me is one who makes a contribution but doesn't necessarily have a, a following. No, it can, well, it can be a grassroots level. Well, as but. As opposed to. Well, I, one, right, one could be a, a block unit chairman or could be a leader in his block without holding an office. Mm -hmm. I think of a leader as a person who's holding an office. Okay. Whether it's an elective appointed mm -hmm. or whether or not he's uh, employed. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and other, if you aren't a leader, you might, one might be uh, a leading person, mm -hmm. a socialite or a business person. Those are, are, are leading persons. Well, let's talk about leading persons then. What's your question? My question is, who do you perceive as leading then persons? Then or now? Then. Oh, I would consider myself a leading person. I was chairman of the once or twice. I forgot. Oh, when we had the, we had the, what we call jitneys. Those were service cars. In lieu of the bus, the buses were going to come. Or some, they were increasing their prices, mm -hmm. and the, oh no, the city was getting rid of the service cars. That's what it was, under Mayor Cervantes, and uh, we we in Core wanted to keep the service cars because we said the service cars wouldn't be as expensive, and so we literally operated the service cars for a long time on Martin Luther King and on Hodeman and Enright. Mm -hmm. uh, but then the police jumped on this constantly. We're giving those people ticket after ticket. So we couldn't, couldn't keep that up. But at a grassroots level, do you consider 
and I repair it with the following. Oh yes, yes. I guess I guess he would be. He he has a following. Um, but it's a following for this day or this hour. Mm -hmm. It's not a continuous following. Mm -hmm. I would not consider him a leader. Can you think of people other than holding, like yourself, other than holding a a public office? Though you held offices, but I'm I'm trying to get to people that were perceived as leaders. Because you said sometimes those people that were in public office were perceived as leaders, but they really weren't doing anything or, or capable of, or allowed to. But they still had the following. Yeah. They still had the following. Oh, right now I can't think of, of, of persons whom I might consider. Well, all the core, all the core, all the demonstrators, except for maybe five, might be Jim Peake, for an example, was a leading person. Mm -hmm. uh, Louis Ford, at that time, was a leading person. Uh, Jean Tenour, mm -hmm. who was one of our leaders uh, professionally from core, was not only a leading leader, but a leading person. What have I missed that you would like to talk about that you feel that would be good for children, adults, blacks, Afro-Americans, whites? Oh, I don't think you've missed anything. Well, I think it's important for us to set our objectives, our goals, and then devise a strategy to achieve those objectives and goals. Implement them and evaluate your success from the standpoint of where you are, where you were, where you wanted to go. And it's important to know this because History doesn't repeat itself, but some of some conditions can occur similar to what have some conditions that have gone on before, and it's important for those similar situations not to repeat itself. So we need to know where we are, where we were, where we are, where we want to go. How do you feel about the leadership today in the Afro-American community in St. Louis? Uh -huh. Uh -huh. We shall overcome. We shall overcome. Okay. Thank you, Mr. Say. May I come back if I need to? Oh, sure. 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 Okay. Thank you very much.